0: This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast, brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. This is the Teach Me How Podcast, a Patreon-exclusive. Please, Please be seated. Be seated. Your, Your instructors, instructors Robert, Robert and Nathan, Nathan will, be, will arriving be arriving shortly. shortly. Thank, Thank you. you. Welcome to another episode of the Teach Me How podcast. Bob just rolled a nut, and I am Nathan. And I'm Bob. <laughs> and uh, so we didn't send out the the vote system. Um, things have been a little crazy, right? You know, we had Gen Con, all kinds of travel, and all kinds of shit going on. We had the meetup, and I figured... Um, I, I can't speak for Bob. I'm going to let him kind of give his own input there. But, uh, a lot of people were talking about running games on the internet and like what goes into it and you know, what difficulties you have. And I figured, why don't we just talk about that a little bit and, and just kind of go into what goes into running a game on the internet and what are some of the perils are and some of the things that you can expect, you know, kind of universally. Right. So, um, I'm I'm sure this is a waste of time, but um tell us a little bit about Curse of Kane, Bob, and like what that is and
1: how long we've been doing it. Or how long you've so, been doing it,
0: you know, or me variously.
1: <laughs> so Curse of Kane is of course our utility muffin labs story, uh, discussing a journey of Los Angeles. Uh really the Anarch Free States. And why I add that really the Anarch Free States is because the privilege of running a game online is that you're not limited. Any one's particular city, even by a standard of typical tabletop or that of live action, because you can using using the ability of time placement, photos, and and just the internet itself, you can give and portray a backdrop to several different areas and locations that immerse your players into the scene. Which of course makes it to where you can do anywhere, go anywhere for that scene, that perfect scene, and that's the advantage of doing an online game, and curse of cane in general is of course a, a reward for our, our patreon backers who uh enjoy these podcasts and believe in us and we decided to run a game for a lot of them who can't right. have that group or are always stuck storytelling and they just want a chance to be a player cause a headache for everybody else and 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 that's that's essentially what it is the length of time uh we started about uh well, we know we hit our one-year anniversary, yeah. one year and some change. June 1st and, of last year was when we started. So that's that's how long it's been going, and it's just getting huge. Yeah. And the first thing I would mention about this is that you're not prepared for the amount of people that have an interest in an online game. Right. You're not. I mean, I, I want to say that we're unique because we had all the pop from our pockets. And of course we did. But the other shoe of this is there's a lot of people – Have the ability to look at their phone when at work or to be out and about, you know, having to do family stuff that doesn't pertain to them really, but they're there to give support. And there's a lot of downtime. So they're they're talking to their friends in Discord, they're running scenes on Discord, right? And and making that happen. And or taking a tablet or a laptop or in a hotel. So basically, your players are always connected 24/7 wherever they go. Right. So time management is critical uh, for what you choose to do online. And as a storyteller, that's just the most important role, right? Know the, know the time that you're going to be spending doing this. And, and I just
0: if, wanted to, I wanted to mention like when we started this, you and I, I, I would say aside from some very brief online role play many years ago, um, you know, in the mid to early two thousands, we didn't really have like, um, and you had a little bit more than me, but we didn't really have much experience in the realm of online role playing. Um, I, as, as far as like, I'm concerned, like I'm mostly just did tabletop and LARP and the LARP was pretty much like a, I, I put a wrap on that. So I, I, essentially, I was just, I was just role-playing tabletop games with our group of friends. And mm-hmm. so we kind of were like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, uh, we kind of organically thought like, Hey, this would be kind of cool because we'd heard this new, this new platform discord was, was a thing. And, Bob, you'd had some previous experience doing role playing online.
1: Um, explain that if you could, because that's a little bit different than what we ended up doing. So at the time, Game of Thrones was the new hotness, right? Everybody was talking about it, but it was kind of in a lull, right? Right. And there was enough fan fiction out and enough uh, story support from R. R. Martin and what he was releasing that people people wanted Game of Thrones any way they could get it. And a buddy of ours decided he was to run a server on Ark. Right. And uh, Ark was a dinosaur game that apparently there are a ton of mods you can put all sorts of stuff in. And we were trying to run a game through that. I personally was never a fan of that, but I did like the medium of having an avatar, of running around in in a world and being able to talk and communicate in character and write a story for it and be able to view all that. because It was a unique perspective. And and most of. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Mostly it was a nightmare. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I got to state that because ARK sucks. Nate found that out off the bat Yeah. when I was like, we need a king. And Nick was like, yeah, he'd be great. Let's talk to him. And then you get your computer booted up and ARK believes in doing one thing, no matter what, it will work when it decides to work.
0: Well, it's that, it, it, that was the one thing that I had that was an issue with that. Like we, we, we had uh, played MMOs. Um, and, and I think that playing an MMO and, and actually role playing in an MMO is a lot different than, than what we're doing, you know, or mostly what you're doing right now. And it's different because you are confined by the video game. And for a lot of people having to have access to a video game for role playing limits their ability to actually participate. And whether that's because of the financial burden of it, or because of the, of of the equipment burden of it, or Uh, for a storyteller it's it's a lot harder to take a platform like arc or you know any of the other games where like you can build stuff in that game one it's a major investment of your time to build whatever world you're trying to build or trying to essentially use like verbal trickery to make people not see dinosaurs in your world or you know <laughs> right. whatever it is you know whatever your game is like i don't want to pick on Ark specifically because i'm sure tons of people do it very successfully and have a bunch of fun in it but it's different than what we do with curse of Cain, or even like with some of the other games that we run on discord
1: and for the record i was an arc nerd for arc yeah right right when it came out you know we did it we did warring but you know three months and like me right. three months in a game longer than that w- that really You got to really have some content release, but that's the thing. Right. And I want to, I want to point out something on that game that we were doing. The story was key. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had to get our buddy to realize that that it's one thing to mod a server. Right. But that's not what's going to keep people. What's going to keep people is for you to give them the imagination, the immersion to feel what they're playing, which is storytelling. Right. And he felt he was new to it, but he, he rose the occasion. He did very well. Uh, and then me and jeff helped them out too but what we learned was and this is an example of having high functioning storytellers and fearful players right right your players who say that they're up for the challenge and then when you start unrolling story they start panicking yeah because what you're not prepared for is that when your friends are in your room or your troop is in your room you can read their facial expressions and know what they're into yeah. and carry discussions to know kind of what's too far or not far enough or what's holding them when you're relying on online and just the chat room to figure it out let's understand what online means anonymity right right you have to get to know your players and in that environment video game players don't want to be known right of course you know these are the kids who want to just you know make make ridiculous names and teabag and troll and and all this other stuff who will say, yeah, sure, have game, will travel. We're playing with Ark. And now we're, now we're doing this dumb story. I don't want your dumb story. And then you come to find out his name is, his name is Todd, and he's 51, and he's, he's, he's living with himself at right. home, which is no judgment. But like Todd, Todd really, whatever his issues are, he's not the 22-year-old he said he was right. well, online, and, and you have to deal with that. And that's sort of the un, that's sort of the hidden, not hidden aspect of online gaming.
0: Well, and that's, uh, I'm doing the, the arc server video game, you know, streaming, like, cause people, this, it it unveiled a whole world that I didn't know about. And, And one of the major components that I didn't know about, and I don't even think I really understood until we started to get like deeper into the curse of Cain a couple of months in, but the, the game of Thrones role play showed me that there's a thing called a casual role player. And I didn't know anything about casual role-playing. I, I, I was under the impression, like maybe you were, that a role-playing game is where you make a character and you have a storyteller. Regardless of what your storyteller's called, whether it's a game master, a dungeon master, whatever, you have an individual that's in charge, right? And they're rolling out plot and they're creating environments and situations and scenarios for you to react to in a role-playing scenario. And when I get in game, I'm in character. And I'm ready for plot. I'm ready for a story. I'm looking to go down whatever path my, my game master is, has created. Having said that, there's a whole other group of people that they just want to get on and they want to wear the costume of their character. Right? They just want to hang out and have conversations in the costume of their character. You know, they don't care about cosplay. Right, exactly. It's like cosplaying on the computer. And so I had never experienced that. Like, we can go way back to like the Matrix, right? Remember the Matrix online? I was a dedicated role player to the point where it got me in trouble, right? Like, but I just didn't know that casual role playing existed. I thought when you're on, you're on in that character and whatever happens, happens. But you learn not only are there casual role players, people who don't want to have to ingest your plot, but there are also like the opposite where they're going to be on 23 hours of the day and they're going to fall asleep at their computer and they're going to wake up. And every moment of your of your day, you have to like be feeding them plot know. And so you learn there's all these different types of players that maybe you didn't know about because you're used to this. You're used to sitting at a table with a
1: book. You're going to hate hearing this, a lot of you, and you're going to be shocked. And I know it's something that Nate realized. Um, If you're not prepared to meet them on their level, you won't have a game. Right. And what I I mean by that is that 23-hour person has to have enough to do that you can build a relationship to have a common ground where they could still fuel their imagination into a lot of creative things they want to get done. But you also have to be able to say, hey, I got to step back and adult. I got to do some adulting oh, as well. Right, right, right. That, that's what we call it, you know, the boring aspects of life. And, and we got to do it and we got to split that time. And honestly, I wonder how they have time right. to stay operational because, you know, I, there's downtime I, we have to enforce. Right. And that's the amazing thing. That's, that's all time management. It's such a crucial thing uh, to running an online game. And right. the other half is how do you build the backbone, right? I think this is very, very important. Uh, I mean, it's close tie uh, with time management. I didn't start just ad hoc, just me, right? right. It's it's me and Nate work to build this stuff. And and we had to find the right software to use that would work to communicate in a mass level that staff could use separate from what everybody else gets. Thankfully, Discord handles a lot of the uh, the document sharing and whatnot that you need to go back and forth for XP expenditures and downtime usage. So that's a blessing. However, once you have your document and your mass storage and everything else, upkeep is a factor. Yeah. You have to be able to stay in constant communication with your staff. And you will need a staff. (laughs) Because if it's just you, you might as well shove the computer right up your hind end and hope it naturally connects to your brain. Right. And and you're good to go because that's it's not possible otherwise. And you know, that's because people will want to play an online game, in particular one that is using White Wolf's storytelling system, because it's designed for voice or it's or text right and with the photo inclusion and the fact that your friends can team up and you control when you're in and out it's it's super super useful yeah for what you want to try to do one caveat if you are not good at writing if you're not good at being a storyteller if you lack the confidence to go forward and at least sell what you're trying to do you will not keep players because that is the other danger yeah that more so than anything else than having players in front of you who will have loyalty to a friend and kind of just, kind of just stick with his game and going to a LARP or what have you. This is people who, if you're not doing well or they feel, that, two things, you're either the type of person who doesn't understand the material and doesn't want to read it, but they'll say they do because they want to be involved. And those people are just distracted constantly, right? They're in there talking to their friends, but ultimately they're just sort of along for the ride that's that's hard you got to reach that person on a personal basis somehow but that is a player type that could be problematic the other one is the player who is not only so driven that they're doing plot they're now judging they're now judging everything you do right because it's not what they would do and usually these are former storytellers they don't come to you with an empty cup they come to you with a whole entire case of water right you know what i mean like hey man if your cup's empty why don't you use some of my bottles this works for me in my game Uh,
0: That was the biggest issue that I had with storytelling, uh, alongside you was I felt, you know, from, from our perspective, I felt like this game, we're sort of giving our time and our, and our energy, um, to people that are here because of, of our podcast. Right. And, and I think in a lot of ways, when we started that, this game, there was a certain naivete that I had because I have this problem where I just assume everyone thinks like I do. Right. And I'm like, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm a very open person. And like, if someone invited me to play in their game and I decided to, you know, to, to back them, whatever, I would think that, you know, I'm going to be very open to whatever they're presenting to me because they've already established through their podcast that this is what they're offering. And let me tell you something, sister, that is not what you're going to get. You, you will get, you will get a lot of that. You will get a lot of people who they know, they know you in some way, shape or form, and they're interested in what you have to offer, but you're also going to get folks that they cannot find a venue to play anywhere else. They don't, they either don't have a group of friends locally, or they don't have a, a group of friends online and they're just desperate to play this game and they have an idea of what this game is and what it should be, and they will not accept deviation. And so you have to be able to develop those skills of, of understanding that and not taking it to heart because a lot of times you, you won't know these people personally. You'll just know them through the game. And sometimes you're going to have a conversation where a person will go, you don't know shit, you're terrible at this, fuck this game. And that sounds really ridiculously harsh, and it is. And anything that you've put your heart and soul and time and effort into and you've really tried to build to give to entertainment, when you hear those words, that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt really bad. And it's a skill you have to develop to go, no, it's not about me. It's about you. And I'm sorry you feel that way. And I wish there was something I could do about it. But perhaps it's just time for us to go our separate ways. That's a skill you have to develop. And a little admission, it's not one I ever did.
1: And and right here, uh this this is and it and it's more than that, right? I, I'm gonna point out that what Nate's talking about, there's it's it's very difficult because there's a level that you gotta be thinking it this way. Man, it's like you're almost counseling people. Right. And you're right. I mean, that's exactly what you're doing. Right. I've had the privilege of being in a leadership role in most of my in most of my career. Uh, with a, at a corporate level and i i say that not as a bragging point i say that to let people know that yeah i had to be pulled aside to a special training and any human being does <laughs> where they sit you down and go you're addressing an audience you have a brand to represent there's a way to be and a way that you have to not be right, right. you know and it's the only time that company will let you use a word not right. or don't or can't because those are words. negative influencing words yep, yep. right and, and we, so, like, we have to study how we talk, how we communicate, and how we come across. Now, that's initially, right? right. There's a marriage period, I like to call it, where uh, like the honeymoon, honeymoon, yeah. honeymoon that you got to go through when you meet anybody online. You know, it's all rose colored glasses. That's what brought them in. You're happy they're there. You're happy they came. Right. They're happy to be a part of it. But once that's done, you now are going to be put in this person's life in some capacity especially if they're playing a lot. And as they agree to spend their free time to be entertained, you cannot be a negative person. right? Because that's the poison that will mix. Now, that's not something... I I always disagree. I think Nate does have that skill set. Here's where I think it goes south. The world does not give a damn about anyone but itself. right? And that, I know, angers you immensely. Where it angers me as well, I have to disarm it. Right. I have to literally shut it off and just let someone be themselves and and look to find and it's sort of a natural skill set I have even in books I read I have to find the good oh, that right, I could use right. in it and it's the same thing with people and that's why I'm naturally good at otherwise if I took the same stance you didn't but I got to step back right because when a person comes and they disrespect and and worse they're ignorant to their disrespect and they keep doing it if I can't reach them right, right. then there's we, we're at an impasse I'm gonna explode so. And I'll tell you something funny. Here's an Easter egg. If you don't know it, there is another server. So we have this server on Discord. I have another. I have another server that Jeff set up, and Jeff deliberately put Bob's anger room,
0: <laughs> right,
1: right, on there. Right? right. It's a place I can go to because here's how I handle my anger. It's online. I can't choke anybody. I right. can't hurt anybody. Right. And anger's a rapid, violent impulse that once your once your walls down, right, you got to do something. So they made a room where I can rant like a madman and just work through what I have and then come out able to deal with the issue well and
0: and even more than that like one of the things that we've learned having both uh worked in a corporate environment with the public you can't at any point in time with your customers express discontent or distaste for your product or for the company you're working for you just can't do it right you cannot spread negativity to people you know if if like we, we have it easy, right? Because we just have a game. So as long as we're not shitting on other players in front of other players, that's pretty simple. But like in a corporate environment, if someone walks to you and says, hey, tell me more about your product. And you're like, well, you know, a lot of this is shit and this is garbage about this and this is garbage about that. Bye. Goodbye. They're not going to play in your game. And that's really one of the most important things as a game master, as a storyteller, as someone who's providing fun. You do not talk down about your product, whatever it is, in front of your customers. Like, I hate to break this to you. I, I, I am not a salesman, but that's not true. It's absolutely not true. I'm selling my game. I'm selling my fun. I'm selling my entertainment. I'm selling my personality. You know who I vent to? I vent to Bob. I vent, right. to, I vent to my girlfriend. And she doesn't give a shit about any of the things that I have to say about that. So it's easy because I can just let it all out. And she's like, whatever, this doesn't, it's not even real shit to be upset about. So it makes it very simple, but that's the thing that you have to do your game. Even if you're, you're, you're in most circumstances, you're not making any money off of it. You're not, it's, it's not paying your bills. It's not doing anything like that. It's just something that you're supposed to be providing for fun and entertainment. And you can't trash it. (laughs) You can't trash people playing it. You can't do that in front of other people that play it.
1: And what's interesting about that is is that those those are those are some pitfalls and that's the tip of the iceberg. And it's not to say that it's a nightmare to run something online because it is very rewarding. Yeah. It's very rewarding for us. It's very rewarding for what uh, what we do. And and I enjoy watching a lot of people go here because I mean there's incredible talent that has just been wallflowered, right? right? They're they're at home writing fan fiction or what have you and they have no way to express a lot of ideas they have. And when you get to talk to them, you know, I've met, I've met aspiring chefs. I've met people who are are writers in their own time. I've met, uh, uh, I got to find out that, you know, there's, there's someone, someone close to Nate that is, that is an aspiring writer and doing very, very good at it, you know, trying to make it something and is inspired to do it. And you meet all these people, they have all these connections and there's great things they do. And it's a shared community of them. Now that you have them, you now must protect it. Right because there will be those that will show to shatter and ruin and spread negativity like a toxic plague. And therefore you become a referee. Yeah. And a lot the of mistake ways. most, the mistake most people will make is they'll turn around and go, I'll just assign an admin. I'll <laughs> just have someone be my online admin. If that admin is you, okay, you're right, good. Right. If, if let's put it this way, treat it like you own your company and you're the CEO, right? And funny enough, you're the first shareholder of the company with the majority share. Right. Now, do you want to go I just don't have time for this. I don't, I don't need to know what's wrong with people every day. I got a life. I'm just going to give the reins over to an admin. The admin can monitor it and they can tell me what's going on. What you're saying is so your admin's the CEO running your business? Right. That's what you're saying because so you have- uh, yeah,
0: I mean, uh, hearing hearing that that side of it, it sounds to me very much like um in that scenario, and it's a scenario I'm familiar with. It's a scenario I've seen um some people just want to start a thing so that their name is associated with it to sort of like give them that modicum of power but they don't actually want to do any work i'm here to tell you having a game and running it is a lot of fucking work and if you aren't prepared to dedicate yourself to that then this sort of venue for running a game may not be your tempo right
1: and it and it can't be right because you, I mean because the first thing you got to correct is your mentality for it right Mo- you're not going to have a choice i mean you got to know okay i do I, is this a labor of love or is this just a fancy right. that i'm trying to catch some pop to give me some validation for a month and that's what you got to decide because people are in it for a long haul especially if it's good right and if you're if you're in there and you're doing it and and you're willing to put in the work like anything it becomes a very good thing and a very rewarding right. thing and that I- said Sorry, go Go ahead. ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say, I think with, with that having been said, like, you don't have to do what we did, right? I think you could very effectively say, Hey guys, I'm going to start a discord channel. Feel free to chat amongst yourselves as you want. But I only run this game on Fridays and I only run this game from seven to 10. So that's when you're in character and outside of that, you can chat, but, um, that's all this is for, right? We did something a little bit different. We were very ambitious. We were like, let's do a 24 hour thing because somebody in the room, some dumbass, was like, oh, yeah, you know, people will play a couple of hours a week, no big deal. Because again, <laughs> I apparently am a narcissist and can only think from my own perspective and was like,
1: I'm defending you. I'm defending you because what you had actually said was, let's hold them to two days a week. Mm-hmm. Two days a week, the game is possible, period. Right. And then the rest is just a community chat room and we'll get to them when we can. Right. Will that format work? I don't believe it will. And that's, and that's only because um, people are passionate about the podcast. Right. Here's, here's really the insight me and Nate have that, that we will give you. If you're going to attach an entertainment media and make this a side project, which is what this is. Right. It's, it's a product of UML. It is not the only thing UML does. And because of that, we generate our own traffic to where we're at right but we generate quality people i mean there's no question that when we talk to people they are passionate people they are yeah. people who are into the products we review and what we talk about and they really dig us man and so when they get in here me and they treat them like blessed children right i mean they're yeah. here and it's and it's everything is copacetic and cool until
0: <laughs> we, get that,
1: we get that random element that right. that's lied and said they listen to the podcast But, you know, a buddy turned them on and they just maybe listen to five minutes and then they hop in and they get up their Wikipedia with the vampire lore on it because it's out there for V20. And uh, thank you, V5, for not doing that yet. And it just it just once they have it, they come in and like, here's my character. You guys are cool. And they know what to say. Then they get in your community and in your community. You will immediately see how the people you have put that person to the side. Because they're going to be talking about stuff that everybody shares in common. Because when people enjoy the podcast and they get here, they get to talk about what? The podcast. They get to talk about their views on White Wolf and make it a discussion and have a good time with it. And we we participate, mostly monitor, because we don't want to get in the way of that energy. But when you get that random element who's now in there and has lied about it, when they chime in, they come from such a negative angle usually that it immediately flags them. And this is how how good it is now for our community. That person will come in. I won't get one message about it. I won't get 15 messages about it. I immediately will get, it'll blow up my side of the screen. Hey, this dude just said, fuck Mark Ryan Hagen. (laughs) Right? And just said something like that. Now, I have never met Mark Ryan Hagen. He could be whatever he is. I don't know. But it's like, that's personal to some people. So I'm like, all right, well, let me go see what happens. And now you're in a process of going, hey, man, what's going on? You know? And a lot of times we've, tr- we've handled it publicly, but politely, you know, get in the conversation, say, hey, he's just saying his opinion, guys. Hey, it's okay. Hey, don't worry about it. And you diffuse the bomb, but you have to diffuse that bomb and quickly. And right. to that end, you don't want an admin to do it because that admin by title is somebody who's just going to handle the technical issues, probably somebody's boyfriend or girlfriend who's like supporting his baby, but really doesn't give a damn. They're there reading and like, okay, it seems copacetic. I checked today. No one had a problem and you're moving on. What you want are ambassadors, right? You want ambassadors of the game. You want players who are usually on, are very cool at being on and having fun, but also aren't afraid to engage someone poisoning your pool of, uh, of good quality energy. And those guys, you need to be in constant connection with, you can't have a barrier from them communicating with you immediately. And if you establish those people and that's there. Now you have a success online because the players know, the community know, if there's an ambassador online, all right, if we have an issue, these guys can get a hold of who needs to come in and kind of handle it. And you know, they're going to care. That's the important thing because people can sense when either your employees don't care, when your staff doesn't care, when your friends assigned a role doesn't care. And once that's out there, you're, you're murdering your own image, right? Right. And I think, uh, I think one of the most, the key important
0: things, if I had to summarize what I, what my takeaway would be from this, from this podcast would be one, you need to make priorities. You need to prioritize how much time you're going to spend running your game. You want to prioritize how many people you want playing in your game. You want to prioritize, obviously, what kind of game you're running, but you want to prioritize where these people are going to be coming from, right? An open call to let everybody on your server, that's going to be a difficult process to handle, and it's going to require a bunch of your time, right? The, the more time you are willing to let a game online take from you, the more it's going to take right? The more time you put in, the more people are going to notice how good you're doing, but also the more people are going to want to take your time. So it's like, it's very important to, to, you know, draw a line in the sand as far as like how much time you're willing to dedicate and what kind of game you're, you're going to run. And I think in just a gaming perspective, it's important to determine off the bat, what kind of game you're going to run. And what do I mean by that? I mean, are you going to run a voice only game are you going to run a text-only game? Are you going to run a mixture of the two? Are you just going to run a game with five of your friends? If you're going to do that, like I think that that is, it can be very, very manageable. We, we run a game for some of our, our Patreon backers. Most of the people listening right now might be involved in that. And I feel like that one is very manageable, right? We set time constraints. We set a meetup date. And it pretty much all happens in one venue. And if something, you know, if we're going to change it from like voice to text, we, we mentioned that up front. And do I let people have off table chat? Sure. Absolutely. I do. But for the most part, it's not any different than everybody sitting around at the table and passing a note, you know, as a storyteller, if all of my friends are sitting at the table and two of the players want to pass notes back and forth, I have no problem with that. As long as I get to see the note. Right? <laughs> right so so right. that's that's totally fine but running a game like um you know just like a mass open game for many people you as a storyteller and this is the same that you will experience in a LARP there is a ton of shit as a storyteller you're never going to know and that can affect how you run your game because people may have conversations outside of the confines of your game that you never see and that can really cause you strife as a storyteller because now people are having conversations in character and suddenly you don't know what's going on in your own world
1: and what's weird is that they'll run their own game (laughs) within the game you're running (laughs) i've experienced this this phenomena happens when you take your allotted time off like for me it's tuesday through thursday that's that's my time i don't i don't have to chime in or write or do anything right warning you will because you're trying to always get ahead and always produce new and better, right? And that's sort of what me and Nate hold ourselves to: is that if there's free time, we should put it to the biz. Yeah, Tuesday,
0: so, Tuesday through Thursday is the day that
1: Bob runs up the waterfall, right? <laughs> and and that's and that's how it goes. Uh, but Monday and Friday, it's game on. That's when everyone can expect to get their scenes ran. We're engaged and we're there, and that's that's the point. However, I've noticed when free time's off, like Gen Con, it'll explode in right. chat rooms right people are gaming left and right they're they're telling their own story They're kind of getting their own groove they're doing and i encourage that role play but you got to make sure you follow up right you go back and look at those scenes not to correct them not to tell them what they did was wrong but you're going in there to make sure there aren't any problems yeah it's a distinctly
0: unique kind of uh gaming because you know table gaming or larp gaming that you don't really ever have that in between games like you may i mean i know i know that there's people that I'm sure you can go back to the early days of our LARPing where people were like, Hey, you want to run a side scene? And you're like, well, I mean, we're not a game. So like, there's no storyteller here. And they're like, yeah, but I just want to role play. And you're like, inherently there's nothing wrong with that. Right? Like you just want to role play your character. But when, when like the quote unquote God of the world you're in, can't see what's happening (laughs) and they don't have a say, you know, that can create kind of a weird conflict, but Also, as a storyteller, you're like, "Eh, well, they're having fun, right? Let them. And it's like, what's more important? Is it more important that you know every single thing in real time? Or they got a little opportunity to paint the picture themselves and hang out and role play as their character and do that casual role play thing that I was talking about at the beginning. And it's, it's something, you know, as a storyteller,
1: I really hadn't anticipated. I hadn't thought
0: about, so you have to make that decision.
1: And when you when you make that decision, just understand that you know it's it's okay. You know, Nate is a guy who lives on one point. Never never put him to a timetable, because creativity will take him where he goes. Artist. I've lived with him for a while. I've seen <laughs> it. That's exactly what it is. You know. Right. Um. You know, obviously living with someone's different in uh in in the capacity you're at now. But the simple fact is, is that I noticed that that's when he does his best work. Is when his own border meets at him to his creativity kicks into gear and he will get the best quality work. And when he's ready, he will come back to the grindstone to deliver it out. And that's, that, that's a creative mind at work. I too am a creative mind, but I am a driven, I compete with myself constantly with everything I read and everything I do to the point it's almost neurotic that it's like, you know, okay, what did I, why did I have to redo this or why did I have to go do that? And the point is this when I, every message I get of a, that a boy, or, or feel that you guys are doing great, that everything is awesome, that you know, whatever, whatever you do, don't stop. When I hear this stuff and you inspire people and you're, you're changing lives, you're making people appreciate their life for that time span of're doing this. I am not a doctor, right, right. I don't save someone. I'm I've, I've not a firefighter you know, taking people out of, out of imperil and danger. You know nothing like that. But if I could do tackle the one thing we all hate as human beings, and that's monotony, boredom, ennui if i can make it to where your 9 to 5 grind is halted because whatever mythical story you're going through is so engaging that it beats all the tv you could watch it beats all the books you're currently reading i'm i'm being rewarded for that right and knowing that i do that and i know it's the same thing for nate and nate does that every time he gets a cool intro cool sound we get a badass interview we nail a pod you know he helps me sound better you know we get the right. quality down and when nate role plays you know or what I like when Nate storytells that once a month game and we're in there, and I get to hear a room get quieted because they thought I was the only one who does that. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. That you walk yeah. in in the moment, <laughs> oh, man, that storyteller's talking. They hear Nate's the same thing. It's people going, shit. Who's that? What was that story? What did you just describe? Do I know what that is? And you feel that panic, and I'm like, that's awesome. Right. That's and, an engaged room, and that's that's a that's a crowd, and and that to, you uh, constantly get. And and to Bob's
0: credit, to to sort of piggyback off of that, like why what is why is that important to running an online game? Who cares? Well, I think as a storyteller, I think as a creative person, as someone who wants to share joy with people, and that's the whole reason we game. Yeah, you have to keep that in mind. That has to be at the forefront of your thinking. If you are gaming, and you're not gaming to have fun. And your fun is, or, or, you know, if you're having fun for the wrong reasons, you're like shitting on people all, you know, that's on you. You need to get some help with that. But as a storyteller, as a a dungeon master, as a game master, your, your goal, the reason why you do it is because you want to give fun to other people. And the reason why your friends and the people that sign on to play in your game do it is because they've agreed that they're willing to have your fun right they're they're willing to let you dictate their entertainment they they're giving you their time to sit down at the table to play out the story that's in your imagination they're willing to have this weird verbal psychic communication where i have a picture in my brain and now it's my job to paint the picture with these weird sounds so that it enters into your brain right that's a crazy concept we've all agreed to do it. So the most important thing for you to do as a storyteller is keep that in mind that your job is to provide fun and entertainment to people that have agreed to let you give it to them. And then it's important to note and important to keep in mind that there is that agreement, right? That once it breaks down, shit is not going to be fun anymore, right? Things will be stressful. Things will be hard, but we we're we're saying you're good enough to to give it to us. So you know, I, I would just say keep that keep that in mind at all
1: times. You know, don't look at it as a as a thankless task. If you're someone who can suffer burnout, it's not for you. You know, this isn't something you could just hand off, and that's because you built it. Right, you built it. You're on it, and people trust you, and that's the big thing. It is hard to get a community of anonymity. To trust you, and once you get that trust, though, do not try to hand it off because you're you're gonna panic, it's gonna flounder, and that's that's the important element to also consider. And I want to tell you, there's something that I I was thinking of that I I remember back uh, when I was a child why where my imagination sparked when I knew I was gonna be a gamer. I'm not necessarily a gamer, but I knew I enjoyed you know being a storyteller. I remember my sister getting a Barbie Dream House. I don't know what age we were, Uh, but I used to sit just outside of her room. And I had my two G.I. Joe's. I used to think G.I. Joe's were the coolest. You know, part of me still does. Mm-hmm. And I go back to those days when I would use the AC vent as the, as the little prison. And, you know, Tomax and Zaymott would fight because Cobra was cooler. And, you know, whatever. But when she got Barbie in the dream house, that came with a whole cardboard set. You know, it was like three and a half foot tall off the ground with these struts. And Ken was this nine foot giant. So was Barbie. And they got clothes in a setting. And she would do these little voices while she's in there and, you know, doing her thing. And you know, I don't even know if she did tea. That just does for whatever reason stick out in my head. It's just not my sister. But she did have a pimp in the car. I know that. Well, I didn't. Right. I'm out here and I'm sitting here going, man, I don't know what she's talking about. I only know to shoot this guy and he'll blow up. Or I'll kung fu chop him and he will die. And that, and that's it. And I was limited, right? I'm a child. Well, she was grasping things. She's a little older, so that's that's how that goes. And one day, I'm like in the room and she's she's doesn't want me to sh- doesn't want to share a play set very natural i too was territorial i get it that would be sharing the fun and so i just you know let it go and then she she left and then i get caught in the room what am i doing my gi joes are on the play set <laughs> they and they're repelling floor to floor and they're getting into all this and they're the concept was stealing barbie and make ken mad because they're giants and all this other craziness and i'm rolling a die a d6 to determine who wins and who loses yeah Real rapidly and this is before I knew about gaming, anything else. It was just a decided outcome. Right. Well, my dad and my mom are very special human beings for dealing with a child like this. Because up to this point, I was the quiet kid. And they, and they really thought I was just quiet, like maybe simple. I don't know what they thought, but they didn't think I had all this. And the moment they're like, you know, listening and seeing that, I got embarrassed and I, and I tried attacking the dream house. It was the weirdest <laughs> thing ever. It was like, what are you doing? You were told not to touch it. And it did it, and I don't know if they did that on purpose because, like, here I am holding a doll uh-huh. that's a girl's doll, right. and I have my GI Joe doll, which is an right? action my figure.
0: G. I got to stop you right there; it's an action it's, figure, Bob.
1: Sorry, yes, it's an action <laughs> action figure. Pardon me, and then and then a doll, and and they were about to go at it, and I was like, ah! I jumped up and like kicked the dream house, it looked whatever, and I took off. Well, I don't know if you've ever received the ass whooping of a wrathful parent who just saw you kick an over one hundred dollar toy that they bought for their daughter. To a son who shouldn't have been playing it with the first place because he's prone to something like that. I did. But that memory is a fond memory for me because the aftermath. When they had to explain, you know, what I did wrong, what happened, they apologized for, you know, their reaction. But then more importantly, they sat me down and said, you know, where'd you come up with all that? You know, where did you where did you see all that? Well, what did you think about that? You know, they fostered and they encouraged me always right. to be content with what you have and make what you have great that's why i said that story right never think that you have a busted ass gi joe net that that, you know don't ever downgrade what you have and what you can provide right when that is what you got to work with right
0: well and 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 the 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 other thing that i was going to say too you know about um i think one of the most important takeaways you need as a as a storyteller as a game master whatever and i think it's uh it's symptomatic of something that all uh, all players deal with, all storytellers deal with to some degree, is if you want to do it, just do it, right? There's no better way to learn how to be a better storyteller, a better game master, than to fucking do it. And pardon my French, but one of the things a lot of people suffer from is they're like, well, you know, I have a story, but I'm just too scared because I don't have the skills. And it's like, I got to tell you, you know, a lot of us that are the storyteller of the group or the game master of the group, we we only did it because we kind of were forced into it. No one else would do it. And we really wanted to play a game. So we had to do it. And none of us were good when we started at all. And it can be really hard for an adult to get past that block. But imagine how hard it is for a 12 year old or a 13 year old who's like, oh, man, now I got to like basically make a play that all of these other 12 year olds and 13 year olds will have enough imagination to want to continue to do that's hard shit, but you have to do it. You know, you have to get out there and you have to experience and you have to fail. It's just like anything else. And I think if you take those skills to any game, regardless if it's an online game or a tabletop game or a video game, just go out there and try. Make a game, let it be shitty, let it fall, let it fail, and learn from your mistakes. I want to share a brief thing that, um, that Rachel experienced that I think is a, should be a cautionary note for everybody. She wanted to play Buffy the Vampire Slayer at Gen Con, and she had played it in the previous year and had this great time, and it was awesome. And so she was really excited about getting out there and enjoying this game, and so she did. And, um, I went, you know, got, got some food and came back, you know, a couple hours later and it was slated for like a four hour game. And she was sat at a table with obviously other players she didn't know. And some of those players were like really kind of, um, I guess the word would be like, like very spazzy. Like, you know, talking over the storyteller, the storyteller or uh, you know, the game master. He wasn't very he wasn't a very strong game master. And um one of the players was like talking over him, and you know, he just could he didn't have the confidence to be running a game at a convention for six strangers. And he charged fourteen dollars for the game. So to me, that's like maybe don't start there. Oh, And also the big, the big thing was halfway through the game, he was like, well, if I proceed forward, this player just broke the game. And I was like, what? Right, right. So the decision of one player at the table, this storyteller was like, oh, well, that that choice broke the game. And it's like,
1: that should never do that.
0: Right. Like, that's that's one of those things where that should be handled like that scenario should be handled at the table or online with your friends. Right. Because as a storyteller, as a game master, there should never be a situation where you're running a game for money and people that you don't know are sat at your table and you go, oh, because of this decision, I have no, I, there's, we've basically painted ourselves in a corner. That's something that shouldn't happen in public with a bunch of strangers. It can happen at the table,
1: It could back happen, home
0: with, right, with exactly. your friends right? Because those are the mistakes that you should be making. So my advice and why I tell that story is know your limitations before you get started. If you're going to run a game for 80 people and you don't have the confidence of storytelling capability or game mastering capability to roll with every shot that's being fired at you, your game will fail quickly. However, you don't have to start there. You could start with five people and learn and get better. You don't have to throw yourself into the deep end. You don't have to swim the English channel to learn how to swim. You can start in the kiddie pool and work your way out. So I would say know your limitations before you provide like a really ineffective or terrible experience to people who have given you their time. Start small, work your way up. Not everybody has to be a 20 year storyteller like Bob, uh, you know, to start. Cause he didn't start there. So
1: no. And in fact, that's, that's a story. One time we'll tell when Nate uh, feels it's valid for the podcast. But, uh, I I can tell you the first game I ran for, it was vampire and it was, well, it was first Ed caliber, (laughs) right?
0: (laughs) You know, when the helicopters pick you up off of the soldier field, uh 50 yard line, that's, that's first Ed (laughs) caliber, you know, it's written into the book. What are you going to do? um but uh yeah so i mean um do you have anything else you'd like to add uh, to this teach uh, teach me how to run an online game bob
1: yep i would say that the uh one gem i'm going to give you the parting gem is that remember it's evolving um everything you put down and call a rule or an announcement or however you choose to communicate that rundown i feel a lot of the technical stuff we skip because you know what you got to be doing uh to work that in um but never think that it's a rule is immutable, that you can't change it or you won't be changing because you will. You will be evolving a lot of what you're doing and even adding stuff that you didn't even think about that'll pop up. So keep an open mind, stay in the neutral about everything. Nothing's a problem. It's an opportunity. Remember that. And if you can hold to that, and that's a discipline, trust me, it's a discipline. That's why I have a Bob's anger room, you know, keep that in your mind, develop your own anger room if you need it, but never, ever, ever do that in front of your players. Never make it a situation where staff is to be held hostage by you. Know when to, to take a timeout or whatever you want to call it to get yourself assessed in order and don't quit. This is about an evolving process for you as much as it is for the people playing. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: did I tell you about the, the fucking experience I had at uh, Staples a couple of weeks back? I was actually there to get supplies for the meetup and i'm I'm at staples, and my my cashier uh they're like, "Oh man, you know the, I was looking for something, and they were trying to find a manager to come and find it for me, and they're like oh well i'm I'm, I'm gonna be quitting this place in a couple of days anyways, Yes, yeah you, you all this crap da 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 and I was like, Oh well, I genuinely don't want to shop here <laughs> right, so right, like you're fired th- now right lady. like it's- think of it like that, you know you go into a store, and the cashier uh, or your waiter is, like, bad-mouthing your restaurant, whatever, you don't want to eat there. You don't want to be there. You know, so, like, I, that's, that's like, one of those things I think is the most common mistake anybody makes is bad-mouthing something about the thing that they're working for. And it's like there's a time and a place for it. You don't need to, to bad-mouth your environment to the customer who's consuming it because not only are they going to lose you for whatever reason, they're going to lose that other person. So, yeah, anyways, let's not uh, let's not start repeating ourselves now, shall we? Um, <laughs> you got it. All right, so we will be back to our normal allowing you to vote on a thing um, next week. We'll put up a poll. We'll have some ideas. You guys can vote on it. But I just figured, you know, with Gen Con, there's a lot of people asking about this kind of thing. And, and, like, you know, have you ever, you know, run a game with this system and da 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 So I figured this was very... uh it uh, made a lot of sense to the very topical um, thing to to record a podcast on. But anyways, until next time, I am Nate. And I'm Bob. And we'll talk to you later. You're listening to the Red Network, where truth is our currency. Watch the number one show in America. Executive Decision. Bob Breer tackles your world news without fear. The
1: why is, is it so easy? you want to do it why is it do? so easy?
0: While other news sources report with their agenda first, Bob Breer takes a hard line with top cuts. um, At the Red Table, reporters, pundits, and lawmakers are taken to task. Join the one reporter who won't show his belly when the Washington Wolves are howling at his door. Executive Decision, weeknights on the Red Network. We keep the world informed. Red Network, spreading the truth. Are you ready to put foot to ass for sweet lady liberty? Are you ready to kick ass for the greatest country in the world? It's time to get locked, cocked, and ready to rock. Experience warfare like you've never experienced it before. Biological Warfare. Now gas up to 20 opponents with our massive multiplayer servers. Biological Warfare. Get your copy now, you pitiful weasel, from TELUS. You're listening to The Red Network. We keep the world informed, family. It's what drives your passions. It's what motivates you. Family stands with you at the starting gate and meets you at the finish line to celebrate your success. We understand the value of family and providing the health care your family needs we understand because we are one our family helped build america our passions drove us to greatness we use that same passion to help you build your legacy at milliner urgent care we've dedicated that legacy to helping american families stay healthy and grow strong For nearly 100 years, Milliner Healthcare has been a leading medical provider dedicated to the most cost-effective urgent care. You shouldn't have to worry about cost when you worry about your family. Milliner Urgent Care. Together, we're family. What is up, Bob? Welcome to uh, all the podcasting. All of the podcasting. All the podcasting. Um so we are doing episode number two of Beckett's jihad Diary, which we have coined Globe Trotting to Gehenna <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um so um what's what's new in the world of Beckett, Bob?
1: <laughs> so what Beckett's got going on, he's leaving Milwaukee, right? Right. And uh he to call a favor to basically take the the fast track, which is basically an underground pipeline that in and uh I believe they credit Xavier. I think it was both of them might be mistaken, but I definitely know Yaga is part of it. And it gives a, uh, what I like to call a shuttle service. And it's a, it's, it's sorry, it's Decker. It's both in and Decker that did it, uh, yeah. between the two cities.
0: Yeah. R- right. Because, uh, for those of you who are unaware, the, the, the distance between Chicago and Milwaukee is, um, it's not real safe for vampires to travel um and bob you can attest to this too and for those of you who haven't read the previous chicago material um it's it's essentially two cities surrounded on all sides by werewolves right would you say that's yeah, an that's, accurate portrayal
1: that's more than accurate that's been the meta plot forever
0: right so and what they do looking look, for werewolf
1: fans they never tell you why or who the werewolves are just that they're plot so basically, look up. I'm certain that there, there's a werewolf set of things you can't find, but we're not doing werewolf. Right, we're doing vampires. So don't don't be head against the wall looking for them.
0: Yeah, I mean the closest you're gonna get is uh, the under a blood red moon scenario, um, which is I think early second ed or uh very late first edition but it's part of the chicago chronicles um and but that's way way out of date as of like current you know what beckett's jihad diary is is it's the most current version of this game so uh anyways uh beckett (laughs) um we at the end of the first episode or the end of the first chapter beckett is like yeah i gotta go i'm gonna try to make take a run to chicago and see if i can talk to some of the tremere there and maybe they'll have some information on karnas rebellion and and what's going on and um he goes to leave and finds out he doesn't have an airplane
1: right i actually adore it he didn't just not have an airplane Lucita stole it right right That's the whole thing it's like what do you mean i can't i'm afraid i can't borrow my plane she goes i already took it i'm landing in montreal in like five minutes right right uh, they have a special relationship, that's clear.
0: Right. So what he has to do is he has to take uh, this this trip in the back of an old beat-up cop car um, down what they call the Goblin Roads. And the way that they describe it uh, is essentially... There is a lot of driving down weird side streets and consulting of different um, like rest areas and talking to the occasional bum and doubling back. And it's portrayed in a way that essentially the vampires have to go really out of their way to get through uh, this area um, and get back to Chicago. And I guess the goal is that Beckett wants to go and talk to the former Justicar Xavier.
1: It's a, it's a goal for him to do that, but there's there's a whole bunch to it, right? He's looking up right. the Eye of Hasimel, and he's trying to get concrete information about that and what the hell happened because he doesn't believe the stories he's been hearing, right? And, and that's the main thing. But before all that, that Goblin Road is scary business, right? Because it talks about how uh, Beckett and what is it, Malcolm? I believe he is Malcolm. Yeah, Malcolm is his yeah. name. And uh, so <laughs> Malcolm is some guy who works for Inyaga, who is high on meth uh, met- and I don't know if it's methamphetamine, but it's a series <laughs> of plants and chemicals that cause him to trip. And he needs to do it because he's an addict. Right. And so Inyaga gave him the right mixture so he could stay functional while he does it, and it helps him deal with the Goblin Roads. And one of the creepiest things about the Goblin Roads is the fact that this guy talks about it in a hallucinogenic fashion. They do a fantastic job of giving sort of a, uh, a gonzo version of what right, it could be right because he can't be in the city right because he feels like something's always watching him he thinks it's the city as he describes it but it feels like when he's walking down the city streets that it's a tongue he's stepping on and like overtones of something just about to eat him and get him in and then but when he's on the road he's okay because you can't get ate if you're always moving right and it's trippy just to read it like i've, I've read it a couple times now just because i like the wordplay right and uh it's fascinating that someone like Beckett. Could be sh- shaken by it, you know what I mean? He's just like, I, I don't like this place. It, I mean, they make you feel like where they stop at a random gas station, they're going to get killed,
0: <laughs> right? It's like if he doesn't know exactly where to drive and where to step and who to speak with and and who to appease, something very bad is going to happen. um But then they they drive to uh like a swamp, right? Like uh, just a little swamp somewhere.
1: Yeah, the Volo Bog, right? Mm-hmm. And I've Never heard of it. And uh, I've been in Illinois forever.
0: Yeah, I don't I <laughs> don't know that it's real, but also there's a Illinois is a big fucking state. Like right. let's <laughs> well, not mince words. There's plenty of places I've never been in this state and I probably never well, I'm not even in that state anymore, but there's plenty of places well, i have never been.
1: Why I say it, I refuse to look it up. <laughs> right. I have Because I either. think it's cool. Right. I just think it's one of those things that's like, oh wow, if they knew that and they made something of it, I enjoy the writers that there's one creepy place. That you know, one Halloween we may get a hair up our ass. And be like, oh, let's go there, right. just do it. But it's the description, right? I mean, he gets there and he meets uh, Inyaga, mm-hmm. and he meets Xavier, and they appear like a nightmare, right? Like, he, like he goes out to the dock, right, and he's just waiting for him. This is the spot, and then uh, one moment nobody's there. Next moment, it's these eyes that are looking at him, and then they're right by him. You know, so it's these people moving very fast, mastering their terrain, just like you want to read about them,
0: right? And we uh, we learn right away that Beckett is, uh, for all his like seriousness, he's kind of a bit of a jerk.
1: <laughs> he's a real jerk.
0: <laughs> so yeah, uh, he he definitely has this like assed smarminess to him. As uh, Xavier, who um, for those of you who are familiar with this game over a long period of time, like Xavier is a, is an old guard character. Like he's been around obviously both in the writing and the canon of the game. He's been around forever, but like he's, he's a first edition character, right? Like we read about him way back in, in uh, you know, the Louisiana books and and all that stuff. So, um, you know, he's been around and we know that is in as far as the, the Gehenna plot is concerned. He's very pivotal in the Gangrel leaving the
1: sect. I it's I I always feel it's more than that, right? Mm -hmm. I feel they wrote him to be like the one guy all Gangrel listened to, right? You know, like and every era has it. Like they had Wotan back in the day, you know, bringing back that Norse vibe, and he was kind of the dude. And then they have a darky just character who I won't name because I don't want to get sidetracked because it's a great character. Just uh, just know that. uh, Well, Miette, I could say his first name. Uh, that was the uh, other one that gets kind of mentioned. And then you hear about Beckett. Yeah. Right? And then, you know, it's like, but Beckett's not really a leader. Right.
0: And, and Beckett like Beckett isn't like an elder in the same way that these characters are elders.
1: But when you hear about Xavier, this is a guy who gave the gang girl a point to be in politics. Right. To be involved and kind of get out of the woods and dispel a lot of stereotypes, too. And what's cool about it, though, is that when he shows up here, it's because it's a favor, Right. Right. It's like just a chance interview, but then they do something cool. To me, this was written to prove why Inyaga's a badass.
0: Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree with you.
1: Because Becca's just being a jerk. She's pissing off Xavier. They, they're about to go head it. And all she has to do is ask them to remember who they are, you know, type thing. And she spits some wisdom. I forget the quote. But she's like basically old, wise woman them.
0: Right, right. She said yeah. one little cluster of words and calmed him out.
1: Yeah, told Beckett. I believe I'm a paraphrase because I'm remembering a little bit of it. Tells him that you should be wiser than a taunted crocodile when you stand in its mouth.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty spot on. Yeah,
1: and uh, it, that's just pimp writing. You know, it gives her personality. Tells a little about her. And then uh, when Xavier and him have that talk, Xavier makes him show off the electronic device. They gotta know something. That right there points how much of a badass Xavier is. He doesn't a, a skip a whip because most people don't know when he's recording. Right. Like, he shows up with somewhere hitting on him. He's just having a chat. And Xavier tells him immediately where it is. And there's no question. Beck is just, like, click. Yep. And then they skip to just him and Nyaga. But what was cool about her, and I really enjoyed, is that she still plays this game with him where he's like, you know, he, he, you're a liban, aren't you? And she, <laughs> she doesn't say anything. And he goes, well, that's okay. And he's like, well, you know, because I, I, I said liban, and you both, you know, he looked at you and I looked at you. Right. So that's why you're a liban. She's like, oh, clever boy. And that's, and that's that. And they just move on and have their chat for, for me, that was the Easter egg, right? That was a cool ass Easter egg
0: that, and that reveal, I was like, Whoa, that makes total sense. Um, so, you know, and it, but here's the thing we have to remember too, if we go back to the original creation of Chicago by night, that wasn't even a thing that existed It what hadn't been created, right? The legacies didn't exist. So it makes sense that it's not, it was never like revealed in the books because it couldn't be because they weren't there. But we, we've, we've moved forward, you know, for many years with the concept that these characters are, um, you know, what they are. And I, I can tell you, it, it's weird the amount of like nostalgia that I felt going into this chapter because we've played this game for many years. We've, we've kind of grown up into adulthood with this game but because of our geographic location we've spent an inordinate amount of time playing with and tooling and adjusting these characters and interacting with them in various incarnations and granted it's all like in our head but it was just like to see more stuff about these characters to hear these characters be able to talk again and, and, and say things that, that were like interesting and meaningful. I was like, man, that's,
1: that's fucking cool. And, and, and I'm not even certain if they ever did talk before, you know what I mean? Right. Like they had, they had mentioned them in a book and we kind of left our own interpretation how right. they'd be. That's what was important to me. Right. That when we ran these games, we nailed the personalities, you know, we like, and I a lot of you are going to be saying, well, they kind of put them in a book. Well, it's one thing yeah. to say, this is the traits of the person and how you got to be. You know, but or they didn't tell you how, to, how, they, how they got to be. They just said, hey, this is what they think. This yeah. is what they might be like. I, yeah. There's no guideline. I felt
0: like the instructions that they gave, like the role playing hints, that sort of thing. I felt that I felt a little validated that we had role played them properly because like the next step after the Gangrel, and I don't want to get too sidetracked by our like, you know, dalliances into into nostalgia. Gushes. Right. Yep. But but the next interaction he has is with Critias and the Bruja, and again you know i've only ever like portrayed Critias or or watched bob or someone you know along those lines like portray Critias. but to see him like actually talk and see how his personality plays out it felt good because we were you know we've played that character we've we've made that character do things for so long and to see how those characters act in a in a sort of fictional purely uh setting-based environment i, I was like oh okay that's cool that's good
1: i was uh equally ecstatic when he goes from there to meet with uh nikolai right right at the art, muse- at the art gallery <laughs> right and the reason why was because when whenever you play nikolai and you kind of read him I've seen him played very differently from the way, in my head, I've, I portray him. I often see Nikolai as, and I'll make this brief, you do not embrace a child. Don't embrace a child. Right. Because the child has impulse issues. Right. Right? And then you give him a beast where it's all instinct. Right? They have to they have those urges. you got to teach it not to do what it's going to naturally want to do. Right. And the Shamir said, whatever, and made one. And we don't know why they made him or right. why they kept him around, but they did. And he's very powerful. So to me, whenever I play Nikolai, it's like a it's like a beautiful, pragmatic to the point, um, psychopath. Right, right. Right. It's he doesn't he doesn't get not like he doesn't he always wins. Right. And when he doesn't get what he wants, he gets what he wants. Can I
0: tell you real quick, Bob? um, What I always kind of used as a frame of reference for when I portrayed Nikolai, uh, the movie The Good Son with uh, Macaulay Culkin when he's when he's like kind of that like he's he's so nice but then he'll shove you off of the fucking treehouse and people wonder why your family and friends around you wind up dead uh, i i really i truly agree with you like nikolai was always the individual character that people referenced as to why they should be allowed to play a child right,
1: right. but
0: to me it was always like no that's the specific reason why you shouldn't
1: right it's like you read him and you read he has Nubal Satha around. And this is what I thought was the, one of the greatest points. Everyone says, oh, man, Chicago gets Nubal Satha. She's a badass Gargoyle guy, blah, 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 And I was like, you know why she's there, don't you? Right. And it I was always like, what? It's like, it's, she's watching Nikolai. He's like, why? Cause he's a kid. <laughs> Right. really yeah if there were ever a person to watch it's him because he's the one to get a hold of that cult book that thou shall not read Clatu to Nikto, nicto yeah. <laughs> and decide he could do it <laughs> right because right, right. it's him and we'll has to be one there to report and i never knew that slam dunk but i just kind of said you know what that's a cool plot device ever sit on the side and i never knew what i'd use her for just she was there right. and naturally she'd protect nicolai too right. and uh the cool part about it was to see that that no, she's there she's uh she's conniving right She's been a bit of a plotter. Well, and, uh, that, and that's and a good thing.
0: I think it's important to remember, too, at least from a storyteller perspective. And obviously, if you guys are reading this, you should understand, like, there's spoilers. I mean, the, come on. We, we all, like, know the game we're playing. But in the real war that's happening in Chicago, which is the war against the two Methuselahs, Ublasatha is directly uh, tied to Menelaus she is a pawn to menelaus and a knowing pawn as well and nikolai is a pawn to helena right so that creates a weird dynamic too that ublisath is like this this tool that nikolai has to use at his disposal but really isn't and doesn't know like ublisath is really there like for a whole other host of reasons kind of it, it's just this weird dynamic that um you know in most games you probably wouldn't even get the chance to explore but it's like something you know in your head as a storyteller and you you know when you read this book like oh here's that that very unique dynamic that is really a part of a, a, a war that's going on between two very powerful methuselahs
1: that war is important because uh i mean Here's what they do a lot of times, right? And mm-hmm. you know what I mean, what I mean, but they, they've done them to this point before this book. You get to Chicago by night, and they would tell you, "Here's options that you could do with two Methuselahs, Warren that we made, right? Ellen and Mel, you know, back and forth about what these Methuselah could be doing, might be doing, is be doing, and who be doing, right? Right? Then I was like, okay, cool. How about uh, I'll just do my own thing, you know, <laughs> right. whatever. I'm, you know, right. thanks for all the ideas. It just kind of exhausted, right? Right. But then here they're like, no, no, let us show you how you can do it. Here's, here's, here's how we're doing it. Right. And it was like, it was cool. It was yeah. cool. Cause if you didn't know, you don't know. Right. Exactly. It was, it was, it was that simple. And then when Porsche gets brought on board and, uh, it's, it's Porsche to me, I have heard some people call it Portia, but I've never heard of a living being in my life called Portia. No. So, so I don't do that, but Portia, I understand. Well,
0: and and it's always been Portia to me, and it was confirmed because, and this is just like a side note that doesn't really matter to this podcast. But I worked with a woman whose whose name was that that like exact spelling, and we asked her like, "Is this pronounced Portia?" And she's like, "No, my name's Portia." Like, <laughs> like we like we were a bunch of morons and it's like like okay you know but we're we're used to a different uh, way of spelling but uh also yeah you're completely right but yeah so um it may be different to somebody else and it, it may be one of those names that's different in a different country but we're americans and that's what you get
1: uh, but i but i enjoyed it i i like that he you know you go, he goes from nikolai to talk nubal mm-hmm. to agreeing to meet with his child and Nikolai basically wants her to chill out. Yeah. Right. Is what's going on. And really it's, she wants him to stop seeing Portia. Right. Cause it's revealed. Portia's chilling out in the chantry. Yeah. Reading books, mining gold, oh, and gold. Yeah. And Nikolai just lets her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Why, why wouldn't he? But also this particular scene in the book, uh, is one of the coolest uses of dominate I've ever seen in any fiction ever. where the security guard is just like constantly choking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's not the security guard, right? That's what was even cooler because he's, he's in the art museum. Uh huh. So the guy comes barging in. He's telling him about a piece that Nikolai just bought. And the guy said, I bought the entire set. Mm-hmm. The entire set. Nikolai's like, actually, it's not sold together. So the one I bid on outbid you. So I get it. Right. And, and so, that's just how I hear. He's just very exacting. This is how it is. Right. And he's like, oh, you son of a bitch. You're just a kid. You can't hear me. He's like, oh, forget how to breathe. <sighs>
0: i thought it was a security guard for some reason but yeah yeah oh so
1: good oh no but because it's the way the guy act i mean the guy came in angry and you know belligerent like something went wrong and i did too at first like i said i had to go over that a couple times to be like oh yeah it is i geeked on it yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's,
0: it's very amusing um so um what happens next um he goes meets the chilled right right meets the chilled
1: and uh, it's a uh, Ricto, yeah. That's a.
0: Uh, right. it I, I, that's another character I really never used in the in the game, and, and it's I don't know that it's even like a real name, but uh, yeah. So I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. It's one of those names that I've only ever read. I've never right. I've never heard anybody use it, but I think it's like Ethrico, could be. Okay, but uh, in the in the uh, original Chicago by Night material, she was the Tremere that was sort of um, being supported by a lot of individuals unbeknownst to herself, right? Like she had a lot of powerful allies who were really pushing for her like revolutionary behavior, but they weren't the thing with Chicago by night is, and and the way it's really always been, the dynamic in that city is you have these very powerful elders that represent the Primogen Council. And they have their own desires and they're playing this very secret jihad. Like it is the The stereotypical jihad, right? The powerful control and they manipulate the younger for their own agendas. And it's just just like manipulations on top of manipulations and this person. And then you have other elders who are like, oh, I'm done with this. And they drop out of politics. And but even they maybe don't have control over what's going on. It's definitely intrigues upon intrigues in the city.
1: And it has to be. I mean, that's Chicago's corrupt, right? I often feel this is the truth. Uh, the vampires just follow the trend right, of the city. You know, if you get a city that was in turmoil, they're founded by turmoil, that probably stands, especially if it was the mortals who had the issue in some capacity, right? And so it always made sense to me that they would have, like, that primogen council was there because nobody can get along. And if there's ever one person, like, calling people out on what they're doing wrong, that's one person who's being plotted against by everybody else who needs the wheels grace. Right, you know, squeaky wheel—it's the grease. That's how it goes. So, what, happens, just,
0: with the, what exactly. happens with the well, what happens with the three go?
1: Well, when she's with the three go, that's where he discovers that uh, he starts trying to mess with her, right? Because he's like, "Oh, he sounds like you got a real mad on for your sire. Mm-hmm. Like, should I be reporting? that you're jealous? Is that what you're telling me?" And she's like, "No, listen to what I'm saying. If you think it's you think it's normal for Portia, not a Tremere, to be in the chantry in places other drinking Tremere can't go." And just Nikolai lets him. That doesn't get your interest. And he, he was, you could tell, he was—he was interested. Yeah, he's interested. And he wanted him to go talk to uh, this Porsche and see what's going on. And he—he uh, he agrees to do it. Right. Right. And that's—that's that's sort of how it goes. And uh, what I enjoy then is the—the the meetup. Right. He—he go, he goes to sleep in a cemetery. Right. Cause that's mm-hmm. what you do. Right. When night's going away, and Yag and him go to the cemetery, and he chooses—I believe it was the first invest, female investigator
0: yeah the the first female private investigator like in chicago or in the country or something like that yeah
1: which is really cool And he's i you know, like to keep good company and uh that's who he chose to sleep in her grave pretty cool little throw-in uh but then it's like he wakes up and somehow he finds in his pocket there's this scarab he was given mm-hmm. and he didn't know what it's for but he just knows it's important right and i, I may have missed it that may have came before he met erecto but uh that's uh he has it nonetheless that becomes relevant later on because then he meets portia right right and what was cool is how this is written in the diary they did an amazing job with the layout and the art structure with it because this is where it's not as much of a conversation as much as he's going back and rifling through notes he took
0: right because he he's like doesn't he doesn't even really remember what happened he's kind of like in a panic and um if i remember correctly um he ends up in the sort of burned out ruins of the uh The Succubus Club, right? Right. And he... It's like he sees her, and I got the impression he recognized her, but, like, recognized her from some very long ago previous interaction, and was, like, horrified and revolted uh, at who it was that she was. (laughs) And... Um he was really having a difficult time putting it together, but apparently he really liked the way his own fingers tasted.
1: Right. Because she, she told him to do it. Right. I mean, that's, that's that's the thing I loved about it was that he's talking to Portia and just going to back the way it was written. He's like, he he thinks he's tending this, this thumping booming nightclub that's just all the rage, the succubus club. And he's describing it. He goes, or oh, it's this ruins and remains and then anatole who's commenting throughout the uh, uh, the john he's like you, you're aware that where you were right that place is destroyed you know blew let the in you know and i was like this is beautiful right. you know just showing that direct manipulation well and uh, it really it,
0: it shows too like i i think it's been very difficult for a lot of people to really understand how to describe the power level of a vampire that's fourth generation right they're they're not <laughs> When you think about a Methuselah of that age, because she is that age and that generational capacity, that ability to describe that kind of age, it can be very difficult and a daunting task for a storyteller because, you know, we all get into sort of like the concept of, well, I mean, her stats are right there. You know, I can see her stats like she can do. She's got one extra discipline dot and, you know, she's she's got a six so that she's just got an extra die when you think about what an antediluvian is, as far as like how they've been described, they are essentially gods. Well, what is the power level and ability of a God's child? A demigod. Right. You know, so, so the, the, just having dots on a sheet doesn't really do it justice. I mean, we talked a little bit in sort of jest about Tiamat, right? And the whole demon thing. Well, even without the demon, that, entity tiamat was able to hold a demon at bay in her own psyche right so it's like if a demon is really stupid powerful which we know it is and this fourth generation vampire is able to contain it within itself how fucking powerful must that vampire be right for sure and and for a a guy a character like beckett to wake up and be like did i just eat my own fingers off because I was asked to do it like what the hell is going on here I think that they did a really good job because it's like you get a little taste but there's still so much mystery and this character who is really I think over the course of many years they've told his tale in such a way that he's kind of an Indiana Jones-ish very able to maintain his composure you know gets down on himself when he can't for someone like that to be like I have no clue what happened I think that really does a good job of, of describing how potent those elders can be.
1: And that's the w- only way to do it. Yeah. I agree thousand percent. So uh, not to beat a dead horse, because
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's what I would do instead.
0: Well, when the horse is dead, you've got to beat it.
1: My brain went, sorry. So <laughs> going from, uh, going from there. Uh, so he gets done talking with all that. And I think Beckett's more or less just about done in the city. Right? Right. Uh, he's going to trap through the tulips. And what I like to say about that is uh, he feels very uncomfortable. Right. Right. Anybody would, you know, where'd your brain go? What happened to you? What's going on? But he learns that the only reason he got out of there was because of that scarab. Right. Right. Somehow it got him out. Somehow it had a usage. No one really knows. And so when he wakes up in an alley, you know, covered in blood, well, <laughs> covered in blood, he just takes off. Right. And that's, and that's the thing I like about it. When he panicked, he really panicked. And uh, that's that's all that needs to be said, right? Right. Because from, cause from there, he's ready to get his plane, going to get his plane. And he's going to take off from Midway. And uh, for those of you who don't know, there are two airports in Chicago. O'Hare, everybody knows, Midway is the other guy. Yeah. And that's more or less it, right? Right. Because from there, it's just, what is he going to do? Where is he going to go? He starts analyzing what happened with all that, what's going on. Right. And you know, then you get to, of course, what to do with the second city.
0: Right. Right. The the back half like this, this chapter, like most chapters, gives you the the storyteller uh, information that you need to potentially include this stuff in your game or like, you know, what's what's changed? What's going on? And, you know, of course, there isn't anything in here that says this is what you must do. But these are chronicle threads that offer you opportunities for different coteries that you know or not different coteries but your players coterie um, and it tells you a bit about the the goblin roads it, it essentially um, not to just wax over it but essentially it shows you all of these things that they included in this chapter and how you can kind of adapt them to your particular game and it's very brief it's it's not it's not a lot of like you know this is what you have to do it there's much more story in this book than there is like storyteller in this book, but I think that the goal of any book like this is to in 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 incite in a storyteller uh, creativity for including these things in their game, but also to make them theirs. And um, you know, I, I personally I'm running a Chicago Chronicle right now, and there's a bunch of stuff in here that. Uh, it's there in the game. It just hasn't been explored yet. Right. Cause like we have a very distinctly Nasratu centric kind of game. And the one thing that I, I was annoyed about and um, it's just my personal annoyment, uh, annoyment, annoyance. Um, I was like, well, cool. There's going to be some Chicago stuff. We'll see, you know what it looks like to have a, a new, like who's Prince, who, who won the, the princely you, you, rigmar- rigmarole, the political vying. Uh, they don't tell us that. They don't give us that information as of this, because remember the Beckett's Jihad diary is essentially like vaguely 2004, 2005, right? So it's kind of like you place this on top of your Gehenna Chronicle, right? It's it it's post-Week of Nightmares, but pre Gehenna, and it's only meant to get you up to date around the 2005 area. So what that means is there's a ton of other information that's coming in V5 when they do the new chicago by night book so uh, to me this is what it was meant to be a teaser to get you to the next level
1: and honestly this chapter is everything you need to start ramping up for your v5 experience as well because they don't come out and tell you what happens between beckett's and two v5 tons of hints tons of stuff that that could be something maybe a dead end at some point but if you're running a chronicle now and have picked V v5 and want to tie them it's your chance to really write right to really get creative, pick your pass, iron down your version of what went on in those cities, use it all, use none of it, and uh, kind of guide you through. Yep. And this is what makes this chapter something that sings for me.
0: Absolutely. So, um, what's your uh, um, end of the night? What's your opinion on this chapter?
1: I'd get it. I would, uh, I would buy the book and I would keep this chapter and no need to throw it out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a fantastic chapter. Yeah.
0: Um, so I, I definitely, I felt, uh, I I think I've, I've kind of explained so far what my feelings are, but, um, 43 pages into the book and I was like, yeah, I want to see where this is going. So, you know, I mean, maybe Bob and I are a little overly fanboy, but I mean, I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably there with us and um not a problem there the cool thing that i liked was that they're um they're talking about um critius and his like i guess his efforts to bring the path of enteleki into like you know a wider usage um which is cool i I like that bruja are 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 doing that and also that they mentioned that Menele will be awake soon and he needs to get that Bruja army ready. That's that's a little that's a little bothersome. <laughs> you know that that could that could pose some serious trouble for uh, other clans in the city. So I like that.
1: And then Volo bog is is something cool too. To, yeah. to read how Xavier goes to that bog, he's watching that bog because he plans on bringing Gangrel there. Yeah. to deal with whatever the hell is down below. Like we described it, like two thousand years it took some ice cap to melt.
0: Yeah, there, there's something. That, Something terrible in the in the swamp that was left by the melting ice that the werewolves won't go anywhere near, and he's like, "What does that mean? What terrible thing must be below the the water here?" So yeah, that's uh lots of cool little little things, little elements that you can put into your uh, your current Chicago by Night chronicle um or you know keep on going uh next uh, episode of this podcast we will be talking about chapter 3 shadows coalesce and um we'll leave you at that um so i would say good chapter um makes me happy <laughs> <laughs> that's, all right that's it yeah huh. that's it um all right well thank you folks for listening we uh hope that you shared our opinion but we're eager to know if you did not and We'd like to know why. So um, you're all uh, Patreon backers. Feel free to leave your questions or comments uh, in, in the comment section down below or hit us up on Discord or email us. You know the ways. Um, until uh, next episode, I'm Nathan.
1: And I'm Bob. And we'll talk to you later.